All right, it was a joy again to gather in uh, this way this evening, and it's been a real uh, privilege to be able to come and preach the word um, this week as we look at the subject of growing in spiritual um, maturity. Um, Sometimes we can um, act in an immature way uh, in lots of aspects of our lives, and um, it's always incredible to the fact that the Lord wants us to grow and helps us to grow and who he puts in our paths to help us along the way. You know, the Lord always brings people into our lives for a purpose. And some of those people are there to challenge us. Some of those people are there to help us. Some of those people uh, the Lord uses to help us grow in the Lord. Um, and I think we have to realize that, you know, we, we quote that scripture oftentimes that all things work together for good to them love God. And it kind of flows off our tongue without recognizing the fact that even the difficulties that come our way are used for God's good and for God's glory. Because everything that happens in our lives can help us to grow. Uh, You know, when a a muscle grows, in order for a muscle to grow, it has to be torn. It has to be broken. Uh, If you see anybody, you know, lifting weights or whatever, what, what they're doing is they are tearing down the muscle fibers and they break them. As the muscle repairs itself, it grows. So oftentimes, even the difficulties in our lives can help us grow spiritually. And we've looked over the, you know, the past few days at our areas of our lives that we can try and develop when it comes to uh, spiritual um, growth. And we've looked at um, boldness, uh, faithfulness, steadfastness, courageousness. And tonight I want to look at an area of our lives that probably we are going to step on everybody's toes, mine included tonight, and that's the area of truthfulness. If you have a look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, and we're going to look at how we can develop our spiritual maturity by working on our truthfulness. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. Paul says this, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time together tonight. Thank you for this precious church, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to preach the word, Lord. I just pray that you would help each and every one of us, Lord, to work on certain aspects of our lives so we can grow in spiritual maturity. Father, I pray that you would help us uh, in those areas of our lives that we all struggle with. Uh, you know, the person sat next to us may struggle with a certain aspect of their walk more uh, than ourselves. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be an encouragement to those around us, that you would help us together as a church uh, to grow in Christ. So Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. Father, it's so easy uh, for us, uh, for, for lies to just slip off the tongue. But Father, I just pray that you would help us tonight to recognize uh, those times where we, we have to be truthful so that we can bring glory and honor and praise unto thee. Father, we just ask now that you were, your will would be done, that you would receive all the glory, honor, and praise. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm just going to look at a few things um, this evening. I'm going to look at the origination of lying and the variation uh, of lying and then the domination of lying to see how we can uh, overcome uh, this uh, uh, 
overcome lying in our lives and we can grow in spiritual maturity. So first of all, we're going to look at the origination of lying. And I think it's safe to say that the, um, the human tongue can cause far more damage than anything else. It's only a small member of our body and yet it can be absolutely destructive. Because of a misspoken word, homes can be destroyed, reputations can be shattered, and lives can be devastated. That little piece of muscle that sits behind our teeth, for those who have teeth, that that little muscle, it does absolute destructive damage, and sometimes irreparable damage. But if it's used correctly... Instead of destroying, it can build up. Instead of um, hurting, it can heal. Instead of lambasting, it can love. When we undermine the reputation of somebody else by the words we speak, we are guilty of destroying that person's respectability, that person's credibility uh, before other people. And we are guilty of doing utmost damage. And here's the thing. We recognize the fact that when we lie, we are doing Satan's bidding. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ said that Satan was the father of lies. There was a pastor that was struggling with a gossip in the church. And every time she would see the pastor's car parked somewhere, she would start to spread rumors through the church. And she would accuse the pastor of having an affair Whenever his car was parked, oh, the pastor's his car's parked there, he's having an affair, he's having an affair. So how did the pastor get around this? He went and parked his car outside of her house for two weeks. Needless to say, the gossiping suddenly stopped. But that, you know, we recognize the fact of where lying comes from. Christ said, ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So here's the thing. When we lie, we are just like Satan, because he is the father of lies. Almost every time we see the devil in scripture, he's lying. The first time we see the devil in scripture, he is lying about God to man. We see it in the Garden of Eden. He lies to Eve about the truthfulness of God. Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? And that's Satan's tactic right the way throughout the ages. From the very beginning, Satan wants to undermine the truthfulness of God. Satan wants to undermine God himself. He questions God's word. And so many people question God's word today. Can it be trusted? Is it really true? You know, we're uh, not to stand in judgment with whether it makes sense or whether it's politically correct or not. Thy word is truth. And there's nothing we... You know, I, I used to have a t-shirt. I used to own a t-shirt which said, um, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And I loved this t-shirt until a pastor pointed out to me one time. He said, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's still settled whether you believe God's word or not. Thy word is truth. And Satan tries to, you know, to, to, to confuse Eve about the truthfulness of God. He also lies about the righteousness of God. God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
when you do that, you'll die. And what does Satan say? You won't die. No way will you die. You'll become like God. There's no way on this earth you will die. Satan takes away from God's word and then causes Eve to add to God's word because she says, oh, but God said we can't, uh, you know, we can't uh, even touch it or look at it. Satan just lies, lies about the truthfulness of God, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God. Satan was basically saying to Eve, God just wants to spoil your party. God is one big party pooper. He doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to enjoy yourself. Satan lies to God about man. The next time he appears in the Bible, in the book of Job, he lies about man to God. And he says to God, the only reason Job obeys you is because you're good to him. To Adam and Eve, he says that God isn't good enough, and now he's saying that God is too good. We see Satan again at the crucifixion and this time he lies to man knowing that man will lie about Jesus and he puts in the hearts of man to to conspire against the Lord in that kangaroo court and in the end they nail the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. In Revelation he embodies the Antichrist who tells a lie so big and so believable that it brings about the end of the world. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, Satan is a liar. So when we lie, we align ourselves more towards the attributes of Satan than we do to the attributes of our holy God. And we're not to take lying lightly. If we're to grow in spiritual maturity, then we have to control our tongue. I had a row for picking on the women this week. I've picked on the women a lot this week. And I almost said then, girls, I know that's hard, but I'm not going to say it to tell the girls to control their tongue. So I won't go there. Girls, you've got... No, I won't. <laughs> so we're not to take lying lightly. You know, there's no such thing as a, as a little white lie. God is truth. So that's the origination of lying. So what about the variation of lying? There's seven ways people lie without even thinking about it. First of all, there is slander. Psalm 101 verse 5 says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbour, him will I cut off. That is lying with the intention of doing somebody else harm. That is lying with purposely trying to destroy another person's reputation. Some sins are worse than others in terms of damage done. If you steal from somebody, you can restore it. You can return that item. Uh, and obviously there was um, um, provisions made in the law to do just that and to make a reparation as well. But when you lie about somebody, when you destroy somebody's reputation by the words you speak, it's very hard to undo that. You know, a man spread lies about his pastor and you know, uh, he was convicted, he repented, and he asked the pastor how he could make it right. And this is what the pastor said. He said, I want you to take a, feather, a pillow filled with feathers. He said, I want you to take a, a feather out of the, the, the pillow. He said, I want you to place a feather on every doorstep, on every home in the whole community, and then come and see me. Yeah, of course, pastor, I want to put this right. I want to put this right. So he did just that. He came back to the pastor then a week later. He said, pastor, I've done that. Now, now what do you want me to do? He said, now I want you to go back to all of those homes and collect those feathers. 
He said, I, I can't. He said, the wind has taken them and has blown them everywhere. And the pastor said, exactly. You can't undo the damage you've done by the lies in which you've spread about me because, unfortunately, lies travel a lot faster than the truth. When we slander someone's reputation, we will do irreparable damage for, to, to them. And here's the thing. We will answer to God for that. He said, who so privily slandereth his neighbor, him like cut off? He said, well, we can't be cut off because we're saved by the grace of God and no man shall pluck us from the Father's hand. So, but I can promise you this. God will answer that particular sin. And we'll have to answer to the Lord for that. So the one way we can lie is slander. So if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to grow in spiritual maturity, we're not to be slanderous people. We're not to destroy another person's reputation. And that's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy to tear somebody down. um, Far easier than to build somebody up. Another way of lying is tail-bearing. 1 Timothy 5.13 says, And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, are also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not to. This is the person that loves to share news. They can't wait to have a little bit of bad news so they can share it with everybody. Uh, and that's, a ta- that's tail-bearing. They don't care whether the facts are right. They don't care whether the facts are correct. That is gossip. Rumours. Don't spread it. Don't repeat gossip. One pastor said that Christians should make it part of their job description to be removers of malignant rumours. Leviticus 19.16 says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbearer among thy people. Next time somebody comes to you with a bit of gossip, with a bit of news, and says, Oh, have you heard... Remember this, anybody that will gossip to you will gossip about you. If someone comes to you and says, oh, people say this, oh, you know, someone has said, call them out. Who? Who's the someone? Oh, well, my grandmother used to say this all the time, and my dad used to, used to ask this question, because my, my nan would say, oh, they say, who's they? Point them out. Who, who are they? And sometimes somebody will come into the church and it may, it may be even their own opinion, but you know, they don't want to stand up and own it for themselves. So they say, oh, somebody has said, oh, they've been saying. Well, who? We're not, we're, not, we're not meant to be running to and fro and tattletailing and being tailbearers. The Bible says if we've got ought with somebody else, then go and sort it out. Don't go tattletailing to every single person because what we do then is is we just start to amplify the problem because now instead of two people being affected by an issue, the whole church is affected by an issue. So there's slander, there's tailbearing, there's insinuation. This is the practice of insinuating or hinting that something may be wrong in the life of another And when we are guilty of making people doubt another's reputation, then again, we're guilty of sin before the Lord. And and this is exactly what Job did in terms of insinuation in regards to Job. You don't say it, you suggest it. If I was to say to you tonight, you were pastors doing really well tonight because he's sober. (laughs) That's a truth. He is sober. 
But I've just insinuated that he might have some issues that probably the pulpit committee should have looked into first. I'm only joking. I, I'm, I'm only joking. But you see what I just with an insinuation. Um, that can do, again, irreparable damage, which is probably what I've just done to your reputation. <laughs> Insinuating. Um, I was in, in a church in Florida. I was on a, on a missions conference. And uh, there was about 20 of us as missionaries. And we were in a massive church uh, in uh, a, a Landmark Baptist Church in Haines City, Florida. There's about two, 3,000 people in the church and they lined all of the missionaries up along the front of the church. And there was people there from Vietnam, from uh, Kenya, from Tanzania, and from Mexico. And then there was me from Wales. So the, the, the pastor said, all oh, right, we've got all of these missionaries up now, he said. And what we're going to do is we're going we're to get them all to sing in English. And then we're going to get them to sing in their language. I'm like, I, I, I don't speak a word of Welsh. So the song they chose was, I have decided to follow Jesus. So we sang it all in English first. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And I'm right at the end. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I can't sing it in English again because they've said they're going to sing it in a foreign language. So the guy from Kenya starts and I'm thinking, it's only two lines. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. So the guy from Mexico starts singing, and he's only singing two lines in his language. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. So the only Welsh song I know is Callan Lan. Need on Govin, bow with Moivis, I did be in my belly man. Govin, oiz and Callan Hapis, Callan Lan, Callan Lan. And the chorus then is Callan Lan and Sound Ioni. So I knew that song, and I thought, I can make this fit. <laughs> so the first line of Kalanon is Nidon Govin, Baweth Moivis. I have no idea what it means in English. But I know that Jesus in Welsh is Yesi. So I stand there and I go, Nidon Govin, Baweth Yesi. Nidon Govin, Baweth Yesi. Nidon Govin, Baweth Yesi. Kalanon, Kalanon. And then I sit down and I'm sat in the pew, surrounded by thousands of people thinking, Oh Lord, first of all, please don't let anybody in this congregation speak Welsh. <laughs> and secondly, Lord, please don't let anything that I've just said be blasphemous in any way, shape or form. So I'm sat in the pew with my head in my hands thinking, Oh, what have I just done? And then the preacher gets up and he is crying his eyes out. Bless God, these missionaries, they're serving God on these foreign fields. And they're serving God in these different languages. And every single one of them can speak two languages. And I'm thinking, I can't speak even English properly. And that's just making it worse. And I was really convicted about it. Why? Because I insinuated something. I insinuated that I could speak well. What would have happened if somebody came up to me then and said, oh, it's lovely to see a Welsh speaker. Can you say something else in Welsh? No, I can't. So slander, tail-bearing, insinuation, flattery is even a form of lying. Psalms 55, 21 says, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter. 
but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Insincere praise. Saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. I have seen people do this all the time. Oh, you look lovely today. Oh, that outfit is beautiful. Oh, that looks amazing. And as soon as they walk away, they say, what do they look like? Oh, I don't know. Look at the state. I'd never wear something like that. Oh, the colors clash. But it's just so easy. You know, it's just, just flattery. Rolls off the tongue. You know, salesmen are quite, uh, are quite good at flattery. Children. I can see a few younger ones here tonight. You are amazing at flattery when you want something. Suddenly, my girls start commenting on how amazing my physique is, and I'm like, they're after something. Because I know the Bible says your body's meant to be a temple, but sometimes mine's like a bouncy castle. And then suddenly the girls be, oh, Dad, you look incredible. Oh, Dad, I can't believe how much weight loss. Oh, Dad, you look so fit. What are you after? Ah, well, you know, I I was kind of wanting this new dress, and I was kind of wanting... When kids want something, oh, they are the most flattering people on the planet. Here's the thing. If somebody starts buttering you up, they're probably getting ready to have you for lunch. Flattery is a form of lying. Half-truths. Luke 4, 11 says, And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. That was Satan quoting scripture. But he wasn't telling the whole story. You know, holding something back. Half-truths. This is something that women do when they go sail shopping. Half-truths. Oh, how much did you spend? Oh, I had a bargain. This is what I don't understand. You know, when, when a woman comes back from shopping, she says, Oh! I saved 50%. No, you didn't. You spent 50%. You didn't save 50%. If you hadn't spent anything, you would have saved 100%. But my wife is very good at half-truths. You know, when, when it works to their benefit, it's like, oh, it wasn't much. It, it was about a tenner, so you know that was 1999. Women are very good when it comes to sale shopping and not getting into too much trouble with how much they've spent. You know, when a parent asks a child, where, you know, where are you going? And I used to do this before I got saved. I would do this all the time with my parents. I'm just going to so-and-so's house. And that was a half-truth, but that wasn't where the evening was going to end because we would go off somewhere else then and we knew that we were going off to get into trouble. But to my mum and dad, aren't we just going to so-and-so's house? Just a half-truth. You break the spirit of the law when we do this. You know, when you go to court, you go to court to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You don't ever go to court and say, I promise to tell a half-truth and nothing but something close to the truth. There or thereabouts. Satan sort of told the truth when he quoted Psalm uh, 91. In Luke 4, he says, And in thy hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. But the psalm says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. That's the bit that Satan left out. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. This is probably going to step on 
the pastor's toes now, mine included, exaggeration. Matthew 5.37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. This is an easy lie to tell. We stretch numbers, statistics. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever gone fishing? Anybody ever gone fishing? Just a few people? Okay. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been truthful with what you've caught? Ah, oh, I love it. it was this big. You know, that's the difference between a golfer and a fisherman. A fisherman like, oh, it was this big. And a golfer's like, oh, it was this close. <laughs> and sometimes we do it without even thinking. You know, oh, the church was packed today. There must have been a thousand people in church. Oh, you know, it was whatever we can do to our benefit. And we exaggerate all the time. Again, my wife is an expert at exaggerating. And she recognizes the fact that she might have a slight issue with exaggeration. She's like, oh, I've got to rein it in. My father-in-law was exactly the same. Every time he told a story, it was like expanded so much and so exaggerated. Anything. Uh, he worked for the, um, uh, uh, part of his life, he worked for the steelworks. And he would work on these, you know, these massive pipes. And he would always say the same thing. Oh, I was as big as this room. And you knew that not everything was as big as this room. But that was, that was his basic standard. And it was just exaggerated. Um, and preachers can be guilty of exaggeration. One pastor was brought before the deacons for exaggerating so much. They confronted him and he said they were right. He said, you're so right. He said, I, I've literally cried an ocean of tears over this problem. I've tried to stop a million times. (laughs) And then there's excuses. That's a form of lying. Excuses. Exodus 4.10. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither uh, hear you for, since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of slow tongue. Moses made up excuse after excuse after excuse at the burning bush in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. And time and time again, God answered his excuse. Moses said, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And yet in Acts 7.22, Stephen said, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. How many times do do we make an excuse? Maybe there's an area of our lives we know God has convicted us about and we know we need to put it right, but we make an excuse for it. I can't help it. That's just the way I am. I can't help getting a bit of road rage because that's just the way I am. I can't help it when I see the red mist. I can't, and we make excuse after excuse after excuse. But it's a sign of spiritual maturity when we can put those excuses to bed. It's a sign of spiritual maturity when we can stop the tattletelling and the tailbearing, when we can stop the exaggeration, when we can stop the half-truths, when we can stop the flattery, the insinuation. Because the tongue can do so much damage. God tells us how the abuse of the, the, the tongue, that, that's things that he hates. He hates a lying tongue. How do we use 
our mouths? Do we use it as a form of building people up or do we use them to tear people down? And here's the thing. When we tear somebody down, it makes us feel better because we kind of compare ourselves with somebody else and then we feel better about about ourselves because we've tore them down and therefore we're automatically lifted up. If we can make somebody else look bad, in our minds we feel like we've made ourselves look good. I don't know if you, any of you have ever, ever been on a, on a diet with one another. Uh, maybe you've done it in the house and I've done this so many times with my wife. It's unbelievable. You want a bit of chocolate? You're desperate for a bit of chocolate. So you say, oh, um, do you want some chocolate? Uh, no, not really. Are you sure? Oh, go on then. And you're like, yes. Because now I don't feel guilty. Because she's the one that wanted chocolate. <laughs> so, my hands are clean. <laughs> but, but that's a, a similar vein that when, you know, when, we, when we tear somebody down, it kind of automatically f- makes us look better. But what we ought to do in every situation is concentrate on fixing us. If we put ourselves right and we're right before the Lord, then it doesn't matter how other people act. It doesn't matter how other people react. It doesn't matter whether other people respond to the truth of the scripture. It doesn't matter whether they put things right that they know they ought to put right. Because we've got to fix us first. In terms of growing spiritually, in terms of growing in spiritual maturity, let's work on us. And then allow the Lord to work on those because that's not our job to fix everybody. So we've looked at the origination of lying from Satan himself. We've looked at the variation of lying, how many aspects there are. And then finally we see the domination. Um, there, there was uh, in Cardiff Castle, um, you can do a tour of the castle, and inside the walls, um, they used to, uh, during the Second World War, they used to house people. So when, uh, you know, when uh, um, the, the towns were getting bombed, Cardiff Castle was used as a bomb shelter. And all through uh, the walls, there are some of the posters from the Second World War. And one of the ones that really stood out in my mind, there was a poster, uh, and, and somebody was um, saying, loose lips sink ships. And what they were saying was, is that you've got to be careful with who you're talking to, because you don't know, you know, the enemy had infiltrated with, you know, espionage and all of that. You could have given away, and, and inadvertently, secrets. Um, and, you know, the enemy then was able to find out where... Um, allied troop movements were and what what have you and loose lips sink ships that is an old saying but it's appropriate to the day uh, to the church today because the church is in turmoil because we're not using our tongues correctly how do we overcome lying let's have a look at proverbs 26 and we're just going to read a few verses from proverbs 26 And we're going to start in verse 20. Proverbs 26. And verse 20 says, Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tale terror, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals, and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. 
The words of a tailbearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like potsherd covered with silver dross. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Whose hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall be shown before the whole congregation. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Every negative command could be reworded positively. You know, when it says, thou shalt not commit adultery, it could be rephrased, thou shalt be sexually pure. We could say today, thou shalt tell the truth. The truth is the very character and the very nature of God. So how do we overcome lying? How can we grow spiritually to that point? Then all we need to do is love the truth. That's a a heart change. David spoke of the truth in the inward parts. A person is not a liar because they tell lies. They tell lies because they are a liar. And we need an inward change because 2 Thessalonians 2 said, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. We need to love the truth of God's word. We need to learn the truth of God's word. Mark Twain said that a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still lacing up their boots. It's natural to lie. I mentioned, I think, a couple of days ago about my daughter with the, the strawberries and all the, the um, you know, the, the pick-your-own strawberries. And Did I, did I say that? Didn't I? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and she had all the strawberry juice all over her mouth. She was only about two or three and all the red juice all over her white T-shirt. And the woman said, because you're not allowed to eat the strawberries, she said, did you eat those strawberries? And she said, like, no. Naturally, we just lie. Every man here has lied at some point when their wife has said, does this look okay? Why do that to us? Why ask us the hard questions? Because we've... do Do I look big in this? No... Oh, why didn't you tell me that this didn't suit me? Why didn't you tell me you can't win? Does this look okay? No, what are you trying to say? I don't know. Because it's a trick question. You've trapped us. And there's nothing we can do to get out of it. You're like, oh, I've got to love the truth and I've got to learn the truth. But the woman now gave us me. She made me do it. Finally, brethren, Paul said in Philippians 4, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things have a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Saturate yourself with the word of truth. You, a pastor, gave me some of the best advice that I've ever had based on what I just said. We were talking one day and I said exactly the same thing. What do you say when, you know, when they say, oh, you know, does this suit me? How do I look in this? He said, you just simply say, what do you think? I was like, oh, that's genius. 
I don't know if that was secret. I don't know if, you would, if that was like a secret bit of nugget. You weren't, you weren't going to tell anybody. But the cat's out of the bag. Oh, there goes the slander one. <laughs> Love the truth. Learn the truth. Live the truth. We saw from our first verse, wherefore, put in a way, lying, speak every man truth with his neighbour. Be accountable to others. Be open to others. Stopping you when uh, you start to gossip or slander. Be willing to say to a person that comes to you, whoa, stop. Before you go any further, would you say this to somebody? If somebody comes to you and starts talking and then has to look around just in case that person's going to walk in, you probably ought not to be saying what you're saying in the first place. Be accountable to one another. Be willing to be the person who has grown spiritually, who's spiritually mature enough to say, oh, brother, stop. Before you start talking to me about them, have you talked to them about them? Help one another. Live the truth. Right now, Satan wants us to lie to one another. Satan wants to even sell us a lie. He'll tell you that you can't trust God. There is no God. There is no heaven. Can't trust the word. He's not trustworthy to be with you. He's not trustworthy to help you. Well, I'm not listening to Satan's lies. And Satan's got no place in the church. We ought not to be lying to one another. Lies have no place in the house of God. The truth has set us free. So let's live like we've been freed. Let's grow in that spiritual maturity. I understand that lying is easy sometimes. Because it's a natural thing to do. Because that's what the old flesh nature would do without even thinking about it. But are you known as an honest person? Are you known as a trustworthy person? If somebody were to talk to you in another setting, would the person defend you and say, well, wait a minute. That person's trustworthy. That person's honest. That person's upright. That person is such an example of who Christ is. Or are you somebody that somebody else would say, oh, don't tell them. If you want to keep a secret, don't tell them. They'll, they'll tell everybody. Lying lips and an abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly are his delight. How do we use our tongue? Our tongue can either build up or it can tear down. We need to build up today. Because there's two, you know, I, I, in Wales, churches are closing down left, right and centre. And you think, oh, why isn't the church growing like it should? Why, why is the church closing? And the church is... Why has it lost that New Testament power that it had? You know, when the gospel went throughout the world and, you know, and even in the, 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 the last century and churches were going up at a rate of knots and churches were full and people were praising God. Why are we not seeing that today? Well, I know the problem's not with this and I know the problem's not with him. So maybe the problem's with us. Not with the person sat next to you, but the person sat in your seat. Us. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive their sin, then will I heal their land. Oh, we want revival to come. 
Revival's not going to come in terms of people just suddenly flooding into the church. Revival's going to come because we are right with him. And we never, ever stop in our Christian walk. We're never stagnant. So let's grow. Let's grow in spiritual maturity. Let's grow in terms of putting right our boldness so that we can speak the truth, so that we have boldness before the throne, so we have boldness when it comes to difficulties in our lives. Let's have that faithfulness sorted so we can be faithful in our walk and in our work and in our worship and in our witness for the Lord. Let's work on that steadfastness so we can stand in the times that we need to stand and we can stand for that which is true and right. Let's work on that courageousness so we can be strong and of good courage and in the power of his might we can see God do great things let's work on this so we use it for his glory to build up and not for his glory to tear down because the tongue is such an important part of our bodies it can either do irreparable damage or that same tongue can be used to preach the gospel so that souls can be saved, so the church can be full, so that God can be glorified. Everything we do is meant to bring glory to him. When we lie and slander and accuse and talebear, we don't bring glory to God, we bring glory to Satan. Satan's glory is not meant to enter into the church, ever. But God's glory is. So let's grow and let's use our tongues for what they were created for, to glorify him and to see souls saved. Father, we thank you again for this night and for this time together. And Father, I just pray that you would help us, Lord. There have been times each and every one of us have misused our tongue. And Father, you know the hearts of every person here tonight, the hearts of every person listening online. And Father, I just pray that you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to use this smallest of items in our body that can oftentimes do the greatest of damage. Help us to use it correctly so that we bring glory to you, so that we lift the Lord Jesus Christ up, so that we encourage one another instead of tearing one another down. We're not here to do Satan's bidding. We're not here for his will to be done in our lives and in our church. We're here to do your will. We're here to declare your truth and not promote Satan's lies. So Father, would you just help us tonight as we grow in spiritual maturity when it comes to the area of our tongue, when it comes to the area of how we use that tongue. Help us to use it for your glory so that we might see souls saved. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And Pastor Darren said I gave him that piece of advice. It wasn't a very good piece of advice. I'll tell you why or how I came out giving him that piece of advice. I was out shopping with my wife one day. He said he hates shopping. And I really hate shopping. And if I go, I particularly hate shopping for women's clothes. Primarily because I'm not a woman. And so I was out shopping with my wife one day. And we were in a book section of the shop. And I saw this book. I think it was men are from Mars and women are from Venus or something and I lifted it up and I just flicked it open and it dealt with that situation where your wife asks you how do I look in this dress of course we were out clothes shopping so I read this paragraph or two 
And it said, if your wife asked you, how do I look in this? You say, well, how do you think you look in it? Or if she said, how do you like this color? You'd say, hmm, what do you think of that color? And so, <laughs> so I thought I'd try it. So, we're, so we went on to the clothes section, which is usually a row in our house. And went on to the clothes section, and Hazel pulls the blouse off the rail, and she says, what do you think of this? And I went, hmm, what do you think of that? <laughs> she just hung it back up again. And she picked another item, and she says, what do you think of this colour? I said, yeah. What do you think of that colour? <laughs> and so we proceeded with this conversation for a few minutes. And finally she turned around and she said to me, what is wrong with you? <laughs> But what a great question. What is wrong with you? Because when we lie and slander and flatter and all those things that Pastor Rogers talked about, the issue is not our words, it's our heart. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so if you've got a problem with the truth, telling the truth, or uh, gossip, or tail-bearing or any things that our brother Turt touched on tonight. It's not about a matter of correcting what comes out of your mouth. It's about correcting what lies on your heart. What is wrong with you? If your speech isn't right, your heart isn't right. And we need to get our hearts right. We're going to sing our final hymn this evening. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Shall we stand together as we sing?